This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9. We're talking to Brittany Ayrton. She's a reporter for TVG and NBC. And Brittany's going to get us ready for, I know this sounds weird for horse racing, but the Belmont, the first, <laughs> the first leg of the Triple Crown. So, Brittany, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Uh, thank you for having me. And you're right. It is a unique year to say the least, but I think it's going to be a memorable one just by the order in which we see things. Obviously, the Belmont is a different distance. You're going to have a different set of horses and the traditionalists will not call it a triple crown, but I'll still say these three races together as a whole are the triple crown. So I'm looking forward to it. Is it going to be weird to have the Belmont and then there is that gap? There's a, a the the. The Triple Crown usually is every two weeks and then three weeks before the Belmont, but you're going to have a gap of about two months before the Kentucky Derby and then another month before the Preakness. So that's going to add some, I mean, there might, horses might actually run some other races in between these races. Absolutely. And all of the races in lead up to the Kentucky Derby, certain stakes races that you know as standalone big races like the Travers and the Haskell, including the Belmont, have Kentucky Derby points attached to them, which is also really strange. So now the Triple Crown takes place over 15 weeks rather than, as you mentioned, the traditional five weeks. It, to me, almost makes it more difficult to keep a horse at their peak for that extended amount of time. Uh, it's difficult to do. We've already seen quite a few defections from the top three-year-olds uh, sidelined for a bit, which is incredibly unfortunate. So it's going to be a, a challenging task for these trainers, but to be honest, if they, if someone is able to pull it off, um, the entire Triple Crown over that 15-week span, hats off to really the training because that's that's remarkable to keep a horse in peak form for that long. Do you see any discussion as there people talking? Because there's always been this talk about having spacing the races out a little bit more um, because they think the turnaround's too short. Um, is this something that do you think this is going to be a one-off year of this? Or do you think in the future there might be some move to, to move these around, the, the races around a little bit? I don't think the Kentucky Derby date uh, the first Saturday in May is going to change. But in terms of the other races, maybe spacing it out throughout the summer. Gosh, I don't know. It's tough to say. There was so much discussion about the Triple Crown, the traditional Triple Crown over the five-week span prior to American Pharaoh winning. But then you have American Pharaoh winning, and a few years later, Justify completes the Triple Crown successfully. So then you also hear people saying, well, it's too easy. <laughs> We've seen two, <laughs> two horses in the span of a few years able to complete it. So I'm not sure you're going to make everyone happy with the schedule of the Triple Crown. But who knows? I don't think we'll see anything like this year once again. I think we'll see the traditional format again next year. But in years to come, who knows? I applaud the horse racing industry for being able to adjust. I think that's one thing they're very good at is calling an audible, adjusting, and uh, making do with what we have right now. And then you mentioned that the Belmont is shorter this year, not the mile and a half, but actually the, the mile and an eighth. And, and that might affect some people. Some horses just, I think, are, are just trained to run the Belmont. Like, that's a Belmont horse. But now you're not going to have that mile and a half race. Yeah, you hear that a lot. You know, certain horses that, say, are, I don't want to call them plotters, but they just have that endurance to go a distance of ground, and they might get run off their feet if they're going a mile and an eighth. So this shakes things up a lot. 
Barkley Tag, who's the trainer of Hezbollah, the absolute horse to beat in the Belmont, said that he wouldn't have minded going a mile and a half with Hezbollah right now. But I don't think a mile and an eighth will be any issue for him. I think it makes it a bit of an even playing field for some of the other horses that may not have been able to go a mile and a half, but it's interesting because it's a one-turn mile and an eighth. So who does that benefit? It's going to be really competitive and very interesting. Like I said before, this will be a year we will never forget. Well, I was at the 2003 uh, Belmont when Funnyside was going for the Triple Crown, and it was uh, just, uh, you know, every time when a horse is going for the Triple Crown, exciting, but Funnyside, because of it's from Belmont and, and for the, from this track, uh, that, that extra excitement. But we're going to have that same sort of a feel with Tis the Law, and we're down here in West Palm Beach, and unfortunately, we didn't have the Florida Derby packed with the stands watching Tis the Law win that, usually if we do, but it seems like, as you said, Tis the Law is the uh, favorite for this, and, 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 and the odds, I guess, three to two were the, the initial odds. What a special moment it would be for those connections who weren't able to get the Belmont victory with Funny Side. They go in with a favorite, Tis the Law, the New York bread. There's so many wonderful storylines surrounding that team and that horse. I think it could be pretty magical if we see the New York bread win the Belmont Stakes. And like I said, he's a favorite. He has done really nothing wrong uh, since he hit the track. So hats off to Barkley Tag because he is really spacing out his races in a way that he feels is appropriate to get this horse to the Kentucky Derby. And it always said, the Belmont Stakes, that seems like a right spot for us um, en route to the Kentucky Derby. It's backwards a little bit, but... Um, it seems fitting that the first triple crown race is the Belmont and you see the New York Fred as a favorite. And then what a, a local connection down here is the Florida Panthers owner, uh, Vinny Viola. Last week we had uh, a representative for the Florida Panthers talk about hockey coming back and Florida is going to be in the, in the, uh, in the, in the tournament. But uh, he is owner of Dr. Post, who's nine to one. So that's sort of that connection. What have you seen Dr. Post run? What do you think about Dr. Post? I was actually on air for TVG when Dr. Post won the unbridled stakes, and he just seems like this horse that is finally getting into his best rhythm and learning and might be an upsetter because you see him on this upward trajectory. I know Todd Fletcher is high on him. Um, Farmington Road is also in that race, and he's the type that might actually not benefit from the fact that this is a one-turn mile and an eighth. He may have liked the mile and a half because he is that deep closer. But you have to like what you saw from Dr. Post in his most recent effort and think that there's more there. You know, he might be the horse that's moving up and starting to peak at the right time. What other horses do you see? I mean, it's, again, the, the big names like Charlatan and Dahl are out. Charlatan's injured for the rest of the year, might come back. Nadal, I think, is retired now from racing. So those two names that people might have heard about. But what are some of the other names and, and how in the field that you think are, are favorites for this? Well, an interesting story is Sola Volante. Sola Volante for Patrick B. and Cone. This horse ran, well, it will be when he runs in the Belmont. He'd run only 10 days prior to that, an allowance race at Gulfstream Park. So that was not a traditional prep for a triple crown race. But Patrick Bean Cone likes what he's seen out of that allowance event and feels that he will be prepped and ready to go into the Belmont Stakes. So that's one name to keep your eye on. I was a little bit disappointed to hear that Basin for Steve Asmussen wouldn't be running in that race because I feel like this is a horse that in his three-year-old year has been able to transfer the talent from his two-year-old season. Uh, but he's pointing towards the bluegrass. But Steve Asmussen also has Pneumatic in that race, who was an impressive winner, last out at Oaklawn Park. 
So those are just a couple of names to keep your eye on. And a local hope for trainer Linda Rice is Max Player. So she thinks that even though the horse has won going two turns, that this one-turn mile in an eighth might really play into his hand. So it's going to be, like I said, a competitive event, a unique event. You might even get bigger fields because of the spacing of these races this year, uh, when perhaps in a traditional triple crown year you may not have. Yeah, and, and we're going to, until we talk about a little bit more about some the other races coming up, but um, the Preakness, some good news. I mean, I, it was like two or three weeks ago, and it was like hidden where it just said out of, out of nowhere, it said that uh, the state of Maryland is now going to uh, spend money to fix up Pimlico. I've been to Pimlico a number of times. It's probably the biggest dump I've ever seen of any any sporting venue. But it, <laughs> it looks like it. there was a question whether it was going to go to Laurel Track or whatever, but it, now it looks like the Preakness is going to be at the Pimlico for years to come. So that's great news for the Triple Crown, though. That was such fantastic news, especially just for the people of Baltimore, because I know it's a big deal out there. I've only been to Pimlico twice, and I've seen the renderings that they are uh, putting forth for the renovation of Pimlico, and it looks fantastic. I have to admit, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, so I wanted it to stay at Pimlico. I'm happy to see that, you know, the state is behind it, and we're going to see a brand new, beautiful facility, I'm sure, in a couple of years' time. We're talk to, talking to Brittany Erton, a reporter for TVG and NBC, um, and she's going to be covering the Belmont this coming weekend. But um, I guess when if, if people just who are watching ESPN, it seems like whenever there is a death at Santa Anita, that is like one of their top stories, and it keeps going. And I, I know it's tragic in terms of what's happening at Santa Anita, and I think, of course, ESPN is just blowing this up every single time. But I guess for the, my listeners, talk about what – what what the horse racing generals and also what Santa Anita is doing, because I just was at the track two times this past year. And it's one of the most amazing, beautiful places to go to. But what have they been doing to try to for the safety of the horses and to to minimize injuries? Oh, so much. Since the last year and a half, they've implemented quite a few safety protocols. They've brought in state of the art um, pet scanner um, to try and prevent these injuries before they happen. They have a team of veterinarians that will check out these horses prior to racing. They also have the traditional uh, state track veterinarian who's always on site. You have to apply to have a horse work out. Um, So all of these protocols have been put into place. They've restricted any sort of, we may have heard that Lasix is slowly being phased out. Um, They've restricted um, certain medications being used prior to workouts and prior to racing. I have to say that Santa Anita during a really challenging time has stepped up and put the money, time, and energy into making the track as safe as it could possibly be. To me, it is the gold standard in terms of safety protocols across the nation, and you're seeing those protocols being picked up by other tra- uh, racetracks as well. Something that has come out of that is the Third uh, Red Safety Coalition and major racetracks and organizations across the country have come together to implement these protocols. And they have a wonderful website and I have to say that they have taken the really awful moments and heartbreaking moments that happened at Santa Anita about a year and a half and tried to turn it into positive reform. Um, and I think that we could say that it's working, but we have a long way to go and they won't stop until they feel that they have put in place, um, you know, the safest racetracks and protocols that they possibly can for the equine athlete as well as the jockey. 
And then we're seeing across America, I mean, so many of the famous tracks like Hollywood Park have, have gone away for stadiums, other types of stadiums and for casinos and for other things and malls. But it seems like they're trying and, and we're down here in, in West Palm Beach and so many friends of mine go to Gulfstream. And that's sort of like almost the gold standard of what a track can be with with unlimited amount of restaurants, the entertainment center, all those things to make it as a, a day out, not just to sit there as a traditional just watching horses. Do you see that across? I mean, you travel to all the tracks in all 50 states. I don't know how many states actually have the tracks, but you go to all across the country. Are you seeing how tracks are adapting now to, quote, the new model in terms of running uh, races? I think it's tough because you have, you know, their infrastructure in place and this will be, you know, outside of my realm of knowledge and what goes into who has the property land and what can be put on that land. But I know so many um, renovations have been made just for Santa Anita inside its facility as a whole to make it more attractive and enticing for people to come out. Um, I think it's all about getting people to the track to see these incredible athletes in person to root them down the stretch to make a wager i think that's what keeps you coming back and so um prior to the pandemic um there were plenty of new events that were happening at santa anita a comedy show a wine tasting in the chandelier room just different things that not only bring people out to the track but have them enjoy the racing, but also something as well. And I think that's the goal. When it comes to Bullstream Park, I think it's just in this beautiful area with the restaurants all around. I'm not sure if Santa Anita really has, and I refer to Santa Anita because it's my home track. I'm not sure if we have the capability of doing that with the mall just next door. So they have to get creative a little bit. Um, Lexington, Kentucky, if anybody's been to Keeneland, it is a stunning racetrack, and it's just down the street from downtown Lexington. So whether it be on top of the track like Gulfstream is or a little bit spread out and you have to get creative in bringing people in, they definitely are paying attention to that, and that is the goal, to get more fans out to the track in whatever way possible. And I think it's just to make it fun again. People need to realize that horse racing is a majestic sport, but it's also a lot of fun. Right, and I see a lot of things, and you can see with children getting kids involved. Uh, I think opening up, I mean, there was, a, I think, a move a few years ago where it seemed like they were, you know, not like letting the people into the paddock area, not seeing the horses dress, not seeing them walk around. And I'll tell you, you get a lot of kids, they just want to see the horses. They think it's great when they have, mm-hmm. when they're dressed and how the, you know, the, the jockey comes on and the colors and all those things. And that's what, that's what got me excited about horse racing. When I was little, my dad used to take me to harness racing tracks and, and to see that. And I think that would be cool. I think these tracks have to do more as they, to get the kids involved in you know, the fun aspect of that, make it a day, you know, just sort of like make it minor league baseball, you know, just some, that's how, you know, sometimes you go to minor league baseball, where it says how exciting it is more so than like going to a, a major league baseball game. Yeah, absolutely. And you hear so many stories of, Oh, my dad or my mom took me to the racetrack or my grandpa took me to the racetrack. And that's when I fell in love. It does start at a young age and it starts with falling in love with the horse because that's why we're in this game. That's why we're in this industry because we love the horse and the joy that they bring us and the heart that they give us while they're on the track, giving it their all. Um, I don't know a single person that wakes up at four in the morning, goes to bed at eight o'clock and does it the next day that isn't in this game um, for the horse. So you have to fall in love when you're young. I think that tracks have worked on getting people to the backside and doing little tours so they can meet the horses or giving them a better vantage point to see them, as you mentioned, when they're being saddled or out on the track. Just a better experience as a whole is something that I've seen in the past 
five years especially, a heavy focus on. Safety is always number one and then experience. And then during this pandemic, I mean, most of these tracks have been running and it's been something to see on TV. I, I said I'm going to go back to criticizing ESPN. I know you don't work for ESPN, but I just think that they didn't they didn't highlight enough. I mean, I think they could have shown more races. There were a lot of stakes races that they could have put on. I just don't think there was an attempt on ESPN. It seems like if, the, if ESPN is not covering the sport like they used to, they don't even if it's not something that's in their we were like what, like hockey. They don't have hockey on, so they don't even talk about hockey. But the point is, I think that's from disappointing from what from ESPN's perspective. But the fact fact is races have been running horses have been running you saw, saw charlatan and nadal during this pandemic so i think horse racing should get credit for coming up with protocols and keep going to give some entertainment to people during this time it's been a real pleasure being able to bring fans at home some sort of distraction from uh, everything that's going on in regards to the pandemic and i applaud the tracks that have been able to do so in a safe manner, which at this point in time is now all of them. Um, but there was a point where it was just Oakland Park and Gulfstream Park, and they kept everyone's hopes up, I think, to see the game continually going. I know how hard those at the Stronic Group who own Golden Gate and Santa Anita fought to put these protocols in place. They have jockeys living in trailers that actors and actresses would live in when they're shooting a movie purely to keep everybody safe. Um, so to the extent that these um, track executives have gone to to get racing up and going again has been truly remarkable because for those that don't know, the economic engine that funds everything that transpires in the morning is the afternoon's worth of racing. So it was um, a trying time for many uh, at tracks that hadn't been able to race in the afternoon, wondering how are we going to keep our employees, how are we going to pay them, uh, the racing funds, the health department for the backstretch workers. So I, I'm with you. I applaud them for being able to get back up and running, not just to support all of the men and women that work in this industry, but also to give fans at home uh, something to get excited about, smile about, maybe look, maybe make a little money on too. Uh, we're talking to Brittany Urton of NBC and TVG. Brittany, what's, uh, I know you have a lot of Instagram followers out there, Twitter followers. What's the, your handle so we can, people can be following you? Um, on both of Instagram and Twitter, it is at Brittany Urton. B-R-I-T-T-N-A-Y, right? Oh, B-R-I-T-N-E-Y-E-U-R-T-O-N. Okay. That's good. So, so Brittany, before you go, are you allowed to give a prediction or you do have to wait for Saturday for your show at, on TVG and NBC for you to give a prediction or, or could you give it some sort of prediction right now? Oh, gosh, it's tough because you don't even know who the field is really or the post positions. But to be honest, with the one turn mile and an eighth post position, not as much as a factor to me. I will say tis the law is the horse to beat. But I do like Dr. Post. I think he's an up-and-comer. So I'll say that, but, you know, we'll put an asterisk on it because I really need to handicap when we know the field. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're a little, we're, we're a week away. But uh, thank you. Well, Brittany, I really appreciate you. You came on last year to Iron Sports. It was right after the Kentucky Derby mm-hmm. with all the conflicts. So I guess we're bringing you on now for oh, this, yes. for the Belmonts. So I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful week.